Welcome to Writing It, a podcast by Ed Adams. The Square, episode 16, a novel by Ed Adams. Part 3. The Gig Bixie drove the van to Christina's private party gig. They brought their musical equipment, but the whole sound system had been prepared by the venue. It was one of the concert halls around Birmingham, the kind that was repurposed for trade events. It was a clever premise. The various key individuals had been invited there, but was a kind of padding of other people around the event, which had been built as a kind of international trade congress with evening entertainment. Because he thought it was quite an elaborate method to get the various people into the country without raising particular suspicions. Sure enough, there were representatives from many nations, Europeans, Africans, Chinese and Americans. Because he had heard Russian being spoken and worked out quite quickly that many delegates were using English as a sort of international translation language. Biggs's team role was twofold. There was the main event to set up, but also a small matter of ensuring that the various other rooms were also adjusted for the meeting. This needed to be a fairly basic form of monitoring that would somehow get past the suspicions of anyone brought in to handle counter-surveillance. Pixie decided that it would be easiest to simply flaunt it and hide his gadgets in plain sight. He did this by simply bringing in small mixer desks with lots of lights into each room and securing them to the fixtures and fittings. They could be obviously on with twinkling lights, but also could easily and very obviously be switched off. He had signs for them with Do Not Switch Off, which he suspected wouldn't buy him much, but was worth a try. Do Not Switch Off. Dial 94 on the house phone for an engineer. He hoped this would work. Inside the devices, he'd arranged a small extra battery circuit. It would last around nine hours once initiated and could digitally record sound without sending out radio signals. No radio signal meant it was virtually undetectable. It also meant he couldn't be used for live monitoring, but it did mean he could keep a record of whatever happened in the session. He hoped this would work, and that he would be able to gather suitable intelligence from the session. The format of the day setup was fairly straightforward. There were a range of daytime sessions for the teams from organisations present, and then some ent- evening entertainment. A few breakouts have been scheduled for the time between the day sessions and the evening's entertainment. Biggs was pretty sure that this would be the time when the discussion about the weapon would take place, that it would be on site in one of the breakout rooms. He had no idea which one and needed half a dozen of the mixer desks to cover the whole area. He did notice that one of the other rooms seemed to be a little more well-appointed than the others, and assumed that this would be the most likely one. He resisted the temptation to put additional equipment into it on the basis that it increased the chances of discovery. The conference kicked off with several well-known and quite controversial speakers. There were press present and they also seemed to have their own small room as part of the arrangements. There's also a special understanding about what could be put on the record, and the participants seemed to be keeping their bargain around this. Christina prepared for her gig. Bigsy noticed that Claire was going to be on stage as well, but he wasn't sure what she'd be doing there. Then the bass kicked in, and Christina was singing. I want to feel your body all over mine. I want to get right to it, loving you. Bigsy blinked under the power output from the blaster lights, but couldn't help but admire the way Christina had the audience in the palm of her hand. Bigsy couldn't help but also notice that several of the representatives seemed to have particular teams of suited bodyguards around them, and that they seemed captivated by the music. 
He was not going to try to find out if they were effective, but they certainly looked like they enjoyed Christina's set. The various breakout rooms were getting used. Most people just ignored the extra sound system available and were happy to sit around the table with its supply of coffee, fruit and pastries. Bigsy made sure he was evident around the area as part of the technical support for the event, so that he did not suddenly appear at the time of the special assembly convening. Sure enough, at around an hour before the close of the main daytime event, there was a meeting convened in the well-appointed room. Bigsy introduced himself and asked if they needed any special facilities. Actually, no, we have brought our own equipment for the next session. In fact, we would prefer that you switch off the projectors and other equipment. Bigsy walked around, powering everything down except the mixing desk. He would do this at a later stage. He left the room and could hear people inside checking for electronics and microphones. They seemed amused that the room had so many obvious microphones present and were disconnecting them by hand. Then Bigsy's phone rang. Hello, we would like you to return to the room, please. Bigsy agreed, but deliberately waited around ten minutes. He arrived holding his phone and looking busy. Please disable the mixer desk. We prefer no electronics except for our own for the next session. Bigsy nodded, ostensibly still on the phone, and moved towards the desk. He flipped a couple of switches and pressed a series of buttons in a very deliberate-looking sequence, as if there needed to be a special disabling sequence. The desk lights went out, and then Bigsy unplugged the cord from the back of it. There, he said, completely off. It's cabled into this position, so I cannot physically remove it. The security people in the room looked at one another and thought they now had a suitably disabled piece of equipment. That's fine, said one of them. Now we'd appreciate it not to be disturbed for the next hour. Okay, but you have my number if you need to call me, said Bigsy, pointing to the number displayed on the card. Bigsy left and took up a position in an adjacent room. He left the door ajar enough to be able to see the comings and goings related to the other room. Sure enough, a short time later, a group of people started to arrive. There were several groups in total, and they seemed to comprise a mix of main players and some clearly heavy-set support staff. Then the door closed, and Bigsy could hear it locking. Bigsy knew that his audio was working, but would not dare to monitor it directly for fear of being caught. It was much better to check the recording later and away from the venue. Now it was working, Bigsy had decided it would be better to be further away, and he moved to a different room. He would have someone from the venue administration inform him when the meeting was finished. Three hours later, his phone rang. It was the signal that the room was ready to be cleared. There would be no more meetings into the evening when things returned towards a mix of dining and entertainment, because he suspected that the key people he had seen would be long gone by this time. He collected the kit from the various rooms and moved it back to his van. It would be another hour before he could play it back, and that would be from another location completely. He manoeuvred the van through the dark streets of Birmingham and on his way to the meeting place outside of Birmingham. Listening in. Bigsy had arrived at the hotel on the main toll road, bypassing Birmingham. There would be no reason to stay at this location except for people in transit, and the nearest facilities were a motorway services a short walk from the hotel room. Bigsy manoeuvred the small white van next to another one parked at the far corner of the car park. It was one he'd parked there earlier before picking up the one he'd driven into Birmingham. He swiftly moved the content of his current one to the new one and then reparked the one he'd arrived in back at the main area of the car park. Both vans were on hire and he'd be paying a penalty to have the one that had gone into Birmingham picked up from the car park. 
The van switch was designed to reduce his chance of being followed, based upon advice from Chuck. Busy smiled as he thought back over the extra efforts to get new pay-as-you-go phones and the need for the van substitutions, just like a proper spy movie. The whole exit from Birmingham had taken less than an hour, and Bixie now flipped the small memory card containing the recording into his hand. He'd go into his room in the hotel to listen to the playback, where Claire and Chuck would also join him. Bixie's small MacBook flicked into life, and he plugged the card into its side and copied the recordings onto the computer. He swiftly copied them into another program and hit play. Then he looked at the sound wave. There was a long period of relatively low activity, which, sure enough, was people arriving and settling down. He slid the recording forward to a more continuous set of activity, and sure enough, there was the start of a more formal meeting. One, two. Gentlemen, thank you for taking the time to visit Birmingham today, and I must apologise for the elaborate subterfuge. We wanted to ensure that all of the right parties had an opportunity to be part of this discussion and to be able to opt into what should be a highly profitable situation. You will all understand that we can't issue a prospectus for this, but we are looking for stakeholders to be part of our plans. This is a little unconventional, and I'm sure that this will appeal to the nature of many of your businesses. Put simply, we have acquired a weapon. Some would call it a weapon of mass destruction. I think we will call it a safeguard. We intend to deploy it once to demonstrate we are serious, and to use it in a way that will provide gains to the interested parties within this room. The weapon contains a biohazard one for which we have an antidote. It can remove populations quickly, but once the antidote is applied, within a very short time, a normal environment can be resumed. We intend to deploy this in a way that will be disruptive to a major city and a major economy. We intend to use it to drive economic chaos that can be advantageous to all of us that sign up to the programme. You have some decisions to make. Firstly, will you wish to be in on the process? Secondly, we have a vote about where we deploy the weapon based upon a nominated series of locations. Thirdly, we will be driving a particular currency to become stable and destroying two or three other ones based upon the outcome of this. You may nominate the preferred strong currency. In case you wonder about any parts of this, we arranged a small demonstration of the toxin. We have also an example of the antidote with us at this meeting, we will use another technique to create a diversion before we deploy the main toxin, and we already have a countdown schedule arranged. You each have the option to join us and take part in the decisions, then in the knowledge that you will be protected from the outcomes, both in terms of health and wealth. Or you can choose to leave now, in which case you may know about this. You may even decide to tell others, but it will do you no good, and I can assure you there will be suffering which will affect you directly as a consequence. It is regrettable if this sounds like a ransom request. It's better to think of it as an attractive offer for you and your various consortia, and that this is quite literally a once-in-a-lifetime situation. I shall give each of you 30 minutes now to consider. At the end of that time, anyone who does not wish to participate will be asked to leave. In this 30-minute period, you will be asked to stay in the room. After those that decline have left, we will run our small product demonstration. There was a clattering sound on the recording. Bigsy worked out it was the doors being secured in the room. The Crunch Bigsy listened to the recording. It had quietened down and he could hear the mixed conversations of the groups in the room. 
He fast-forwarded the recording to when the volume raised again. It was around 30 minutes later. Hello, gentlemen, came the announcement. Let's see who wants to be in on this. I've arranged for the doors at the end of the room to be opened. If anyone needs to leave, now is the time. Beasy could hear some scraping of chairs and a few footsteps. There, it seems around ten people have decided that this opportunity is too rich for them. We can see each of them on the television screens. We set up a video link to that next room. Next, you must each sample the biopen. This is the antidote to the neurotoxin and a great form of defence. Beasy could hear the clink as what he imagined were the syringes of an antidote being handed out. This is how you use the syringe, explained the voice. Hold it to your arm and press the small button. It should leave a small impression on your arm, a square of four dots where the needles fire. It is almost painless. Because he heard a noise like a vacuum tube, which repeated around a dozen times. That's great. You are now all inoculated from the nerve gas. Let's see what it does. Watch the television monitors. There was a silence and then a muffled scream. Bixie worked out it was coming from the TV monitor relayed from the next room. He listened for several minutes and was aware that the people in the room with the recording had gone quiet. There. You can see just how effective this agent is. No one survived. Now we will open the doors to this room. There were cries of, No, stop. You are forgetting you are immune to the agent. The injection has rendered the nerve agent useless against each of you. Bigsy could hear the doors being unbolted. There was a movement, as if of feet running. C said the voice, you are all unharmed. Furthermore, in half an hour, the neurotoxin will have been rendered harmless. Until that time, no one unprotected should go into either of these rooms. That is why we are keeping the outer perimeter doors locked. Now we need to talk about the price of continued admission to this very select club. Bigsy realised what had happened. The nerve agent had been demonstrated, the antidote had been shown to work, and now the representatives were being asked for money. I think we will set the admission price in US dollars, let us say 10 million. Because he could hear the hubbub as people discussed this, and he realised they had all worked out that there would be a higher price to pay if they didn't accept. This was no auction, it was simply holding the players to ransom. Think you should appoint a spokesperson and then let us know your response within the hour. It is fifteen thirty now. We will return at sixteen thirty. Some of you will pay, and others may wish to visit another of our rooms. Bigsy called through to Chuck. Chuck, I have the recording. It was not an auction. It was a ransom. Pay ten million for a piece of the action, or become a lab experiment for the toxin. They just killed the people who opted out and have threatened the rest. My guess is that they will make around 100 million from this one deal. Chuck replied, Do we know if the rest of the toxin is here, or was it just enough for the demonstration? I don't know. They asked where people would like it to be used, for example in a major city, and which currency they would like to affect. This takes terrorism to a whole new level. Chuck relayed the information to Jake and Claire, and then called Richard Alton. Richard, they have the toxin here in Birmingham. We're also concerned that they have another supply of it somewhere else and are getting ready to deploy it. Okay, my source, a major Ramirez in Washington, tells me that the threat is planned for London. He's been asked by Colonel Carson to come over to London to coordinate American involvement. Carson is heading for Frankfurt, where there is another large US control station. 
Ramirez says he thinks the second truck came across mainland Europe through a significant number of major cities. Look, I have some other news. James wants to come back to support you in the next stage. James? I thought he was well out of it now. No, we've agreed to keep Leah safe. But James says he considers the mission as unfinished business. He's asked to meet up with you again in Birmingham. Sure, said Chuck. He knows his own mind. Send him along. We're at the Hyatt Regency, Birmingham. We'll see him tomorrow. Ramirez thoughts. Ramirez was still thinking about truck two. It had traversed Europe. It could have delivered some of the containers to an intermediate city on its way through. He placed a call to Alford. Hi, Robert. Hi, Ramirez. The truck has finally arrived in Birmingham. At least that is what my people are saying. I've also got a recording from one of Chuck Manor's friends. I'm slightly surprised that your own NSA haven't picked up on this. Why didn't Carson know this? He'd have expected to have received the intel from the NSA faster than from the Brits. It made Ramirez wonder whether there was any form of delay being introduced. Ramirez also considered the biopens. It seemed that the biopens had found their way to the Birmingham venue, at least according to the information that he had received from Alton. Once again, nothing from Carson. Ramirez began to wonder whether there was some kind of mute switch being applied to the information about these consignments. He took a closer look at the delay around Ashford on the way between Dover and London. There had been intense activity around this point, although the toxin transfer had continued. It looked as if some of the people at this rendezvous had moved back towards London, but others had continued on their way to Birmingham. The challenge was, which items had gone to which location? Fortunately, now that Alton had phoned, Ramirez could do some hunting. He knew that both the toxin and at least several of the biopens were in Birmingham. Look, Robert, I'm going to need to be able to talk directly to your contact in Birmingham. That's Colonel Chuck Manners, isn't it? Yes, I'll send you his phone details. I'll also let him know that he should expect a call from you. Unexpected guest. Chuck was in the bar at the hotel when James arrived. You must be crazy, greeted Chuck. I sometimes wonder, said James. You've met Jake. I'll have to introduce you to the creators of sound effects during Leah's rescue, said Chuck. He gestured across to another table. Big C, Jake and Claire turned and waved. I thought I'd introduce you in stages, said Chuck, as the others walked across. Hey again, said Jake. I guess they found you somewhere to squirrel you away in London. I'm under great pains not to disclose location, said James. You know how it is. Not really, said Big Z. Hi, I'm Big Z, and help manufacture that soundscape for the extraction. I've used some CSI banter and a couple of comedy cop movies to create the frantic mission effect. Well, it did the trick, said James. And you must be Claire. Claire grinned. Yes, and I'm pleased you all got through that tricky extraction. I'd expect no less if you get mixed up with Chuck Manners, though. James replied. I'm not surprised you're in this rather spiffy hotel either. It is typical of a well-off freelancer or a high-end government official. And in case you were wondering, I think I owe it to all of you to try to see this thing through now, said James. It's interesting for a freelancer to think like that, said Chuck. Yes, but if you think about it, I'll still want more work from the UK government, so it's better that I get a gold star rather than a question mark in my report. The bar was filling. 
A trade convention of salesmen had arrived and were busy slapping one another on the back. Adjacent to the bar, James could see a dining area. It looked positively peaceful. Then he noticed something. My God, he whispered. Don't look now, but that's Karen. He gestured to a woman sitting alone in the restaurant. But Karen was murdered with a sniper rifle, asked Chuck. I'm telling you, that is Karen. I need to get away from here. She doesn't know any of you. James moved across the bar, past the salesman and towards the exit from the area. Chuck could see he was by the elevators and then gone. We need to check this out, said Claire. I'll go in and check. She walked away, pressing buttons on her phone. They could see Claire reading the menu outside of the restaurant area. Then they saw her take a photograph of the menu, turn around and walk across to the bar. She's trying to separate herself from us, said Chuck. Let's go to that other lounge area over there, the one without the bar. Jake and Bigsy stood, and the three of them strolled nonchalantly towards a seating area away from the bar. Claire moved across to rejoin them. I've got her photo here, she said. I'll share it with you all. Chuck reached for his phone and took an airdrop copy of the photograph. I'm going to send this on to Robert Alton for positive confirmation, he said. He sent a short message to Alton, and they all waited, slightly unsure of their next move. A text came back to Chuck's phone. Confirmed, it is Karen Martin. Very interesting, said Chuck. It can only mean that Karen is involved in the biggest plan. This has to be money motivated, said Jake, or else why would she do it? Ideological reasons? I don't think so. Pressure applied? Maybe. The sort of money that they were talking about for the pre-funding was huge in any case, said Bigsy. Several partners in crime, each putting up 10 million. I guess Karen may only get a small slice, but it's still a lot of cash. Okay, said Chuck. We have a couple of options. To observe her or to reel her in. Well, she's very close at the moment. I presume she could easily hide from us if she realised we were onto her. I agree, said Chuck. I think we must corral her and find out what is happening. I'm going to contact Robert Alton again and clear this with him. He picked up his phone and walked away into a corner of the room. Bixie and Claire thought of a plan. I'll go to the restaurant. I can get an adjacent table, said Claire. I can get a table by the exit, said Bigsy, and Chuck can cover us from the back. We can't use James for this because she will recognise him. Chuck returned. I've spoken to Robert Alton. He is quite relaxed about us putting Karen, but he would like an opportunity to talk to her himself. We're going into the restaurant once we have her. We can take her to your room in the hotel. I'll engage her in conversation first, said Claire. We need to stop her from running away. I'm going to explain this to... The restaurant staff, said Chuck. It's time to flash a badge. He walked towards the restaurant to seek the manager. Then Claire wandered towards a table and asked to be seated at one very close to Karen. Bixie followed and then Chuck took a seat much further away at the other end of the restaurant. Karen briefly looked up but then continued to read her phone. She was waiting for the next course to arrive. Excuse me, said Claire. I hope you don't mind me asking this, but I've been chatted up by several of the men in the sales conference. Could you keep an eye out for me in case anyone tries to follow me in here? Karen smiled. Yes, I'll keep a lookout. But I think the staff here are very good and they will ensure you are not the source of unwanted attention. Claire smiled. That's the thing. We think you also might be the source of something. Is your name Karen? Karen tensed. No, I think you have made a mistake. Bigsy moved from his table and Chuck stood. Karen looked around. She could only assess the odds at three, he declared to her one. Look, what is this about? she asked. I think you'd better come with us, said Chuck. I think we know someone or something you will want to hear. 
Karen looked around. She realised that escape would be difficult. The staff in the restaurant appeared to be taking the scene in their stride, and she realised that they had been badged or briefed in some way. Okay, I'll come along, she said. I don't know who you are or what you want, but you have the wrong person. They all moved towards the elevators. Chuck used his special access key to the executive floors. Claire and Bigsy looked at one another. They just knew that Chuck would have a suite. In a few moments, they were entering the room. Karen remained very calm and unruffled by this strange behaviour. Chuck was on the phone to James, and a few moments later, he arrived at the door of Chuck's room. Hello, Karen, said James. I was expecting to see you in Cairo. Karen looked toward James. They could all see her last opportunity to bluff through this situation had just evaporated. James, she said, this is most unexpected. You will need to tell us, to tell us all what is happening and what is your part. 